This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. This is the Mark Madden Unfiltered Podcast from the Bet Rivers Network. That sounds like the opening to a Black Sabbath song, Sweetly, specifically. But no, it's my lungs full of smoke because the air quality in Pittsburgh is just terrible. Nonetheless, I'm a trooper, a real warrior. I am going to soldier through this podcast for the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. I'm Mark Madden. Uh, I'm joined by Tim Benz. Tim, the big controversy is... The air in Pittsburgh is said to be dangerous uh, by health services because smoke drifting down from all the fires in Canada. And yet the Pirates played last night. The Pirates are playing as we speak on Thursday afternoon. Uh, Should they be playing? The players complain, McCutcheon specifically, Austin Hedges too. Uh, I think they shouldn't be playing. I mean, I live on the Allegheny River. You can't see from one side to the other. Uh, the breathing conditions are unsafe. Now, these are athletes in their prime. I'm an old fatso with pre-existing conditions, but but nonetheless, some of those old fatsos are in the stands today, too. It's more of a fan issue, I think, than it is a player issue, maybe an umpire issue. Um, but there is something to be said for the theory as to why they're pushing through this game because it's a getaway day game with a team coming from the West Coast Neither team will probably be in it late. It would just be lost money at the gate. Right, just don't play it at all. Each team plays 161 games. It's happened before. It's happened to the Pirates before not too long ago. What if the umpires get so disoriented they start making all the calls correctly? (laughs) That's right. All of a sudden the strike zone is accurate. Hey, we all know this. A robot ump will never fall down from having black lung syndrome. Is this what it looked like around here in the 1930s, by the way? Is this literally hell with the lid taken off? Are thanks, we there now? Thanks for implying that I was alive then. Well, I don't know. I don't know that you would know, but I mean, you're like where you are down along the river. I won't say specifically. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. So I'm it's on awful. To- I'm on top of Perry Hilltop. I look down over the war streets and across to the city, and it looks like that picture I see at the top of Mount Washington where the Duquesne Incline is. Oh, right, right, right. I keep wondering if I'm gonna have to Well from the thirties. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, yeah, I, I just don't think they should be playing. Uh, I'm surprised the players didn't refuse to play. McCutcheon, like like we said, they're playing as we speak on Thursday afternoon. McCutcheon was wearing one of those, not just a mask, but one of those kind of complicated ones on the field. It looked like it had a little vent on it. You know, I, I don't know the exact science behind it or how it turns on or off. I'm just going off with something I saw on Twitter right This could lead to Kutch being traded. Either let me breathe safely or trade me to Texas. <laughs> That's right. We won't get hurt with anything from Canada down down in Texas. Get me to Arlington right now. Um, trade me right now. I, I do want to stick with the Buckos in that topic for a second, Tim. 
if Texas does want to trade for Andrew McCutcheon, should the Pirates do it? Given good return. They're getting good return. And I heard like somewhere in the neighborhood of a top 125 player, which is pretty good. Prospect, yeah. That's pretty good for a guy who's going to be a rental and probably bat in the bottom third of Texas's batting order against Might lefties. Might not even be an everyday player. Yeah, that's pretty good return. And I, I, is this a matter of calling his bluff? Like, is that what you're asking? Oh, no, I, I don't know that he's bluffing. I don't know that his opinion matters. Like you said, he doesn't have a no-trade clause, so they right, can't right. deal with if, it. If they can help the team, they should trade him. I mean, I'm not saying that cavalierly, like, you know, punish the guy for being dumb enough to come back here in the first place. But, uh, you know, I think the team has to think about helping the team. Then again, when I say that, I'm operating under the premise that the Pirates do intend to win someday, which is a premise I don't really operate under. And the premise that whatever player or players they get back in return will be something substantive that actually helps them. And how rarely does that happen? It just doesn't Yeah, but you still got to take a shot. You don't not take a shot for the sake of sentimentality. Or business return if he comes back next year and they get the pop that they did this year. Uh, they probably wouldn't. Well, now hold it, hold it. That brings me to my next point. I would not bring Kutch back as a free agent this coming off season if he leaves now. That just looks dumb. It just creates the same issue. Yeah, oh. at, at that point, you're 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 taking a baseball team and doing the hokey pokey. He's in again, out again. It's like Kenny Pickett's wedding without a cool ice sculpture. The Steeler logo, you'll recall. Uh, I, or, I, or like Mark Recchi. Mark Recchi? He came back like three times, right? Uh, to Pittsburgh? No, just just uh, once. I thought he oh, came no, back Oh, no, wait, twice. he did come back. To, he, uh, and then yeah, he came back and became a coach. <laughs> he came back in the exact same circumstance, too. That he, 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 he came back, got traded, came back. There was a total of three times. And you know yeah. what? I thought it was dumb then. Okay. So I, I think if you let Kutch go, then let him go for good. Uh, now, I feel like Kutch has definitely helped as a player. Tim, his batting average and uh, on-base percentage, the uh, the former is the high since 2017. The latter is the high since 2015. Yeah, he started. I don't know where he is right now, but I know he started this series against the Padres with the ninth best on-base percentage in all of Major League Baseball. And he's walking like crazy. Like crazy. Possibly yeah. because nobody else on the team can hit, and the other teams are pitching around him. There's that, but I also think he's using to his advantage. He's He gets every close call. I think from the That's umpires, good. and he's smart enough. Not to know all that hasn't he earned that as he, a veteran? Exactly, Who, who's known for having a good eye, and he doesn't have to chase. And the other thing about that too, Mark, is I've always felt, and it's really popular to say in Pittsburgh when he was at the zenith of his powers. Everybody said, "Oh, you know, Kutch is locked in when he's going the other way. You know, Kutch is locked in when he's going the other way." Well, yeah, sure. I think you can say that about a lot of hitters, especially right-handed hitters like him. When he's really locked in, though is when he's lashing the ball down the left field line. Yeah. When that bat speed of his is in full board, well, he's like, whipping like, around. Like any good hitter. he's Any good hitter is a pool hitter. Unless he's the slapsy type guy, you know, like this. What's Wade the guy Boggs in Miami? Or Tony Gwynn or somebody what's like that. What's the guy in Miami who's almost hitting 400? Arreyes. Yeah, right. He kind of, you know. And he goes everywhere. Nothing wrong with hitting that way either. But yeah, you're right. Kutch is, is best when he pulls like probably 95% of MLB hitters. So it helps him in two regards. He doesn't have to chase out of the zone. And especially against lefties, if they feel like they got to come into the middle or the middle third of the plate, that's what he's eaten up his whole career. Now, if Kutch's leadership means so much, and I, and I don't think it's a it's a insubstantial factor, but but how come they're collapsing? Yeah, I don't buy the leadership thing all that much. Well, I I never do 
because I always feel like leadership and chemistry are signed after the fact. I've done entire shows on that, Tim. Okay, you never hear about a winning team that had bad leadership and bad chemistry. You never hear about a losing team that won despite its leadership and chemistry. We assign the value after they win. And you never hear about a perceived leader not doing a leadership role, especially in the moment. I'll give you an example. Who's considered the greatest leader in hockey history, maybe in sports history? You're talking about Messier? Yep. They named the leadership award after him. Did you know his teams did not make the playoffs his last seven seasons? Yes, I've heard you say that before. So I'm assuming he forgot how to lead. He plum forgot. Let's put it, let me ask you this. If there was no tangible leadership. It's because the teams were terrible, by the way. I'm, I'm jesting. Uh, and for the sake of argument, if McCutcheon really didn't invest all that much in the leadership angle that we all kind of wrote and said in advance that he would, do you think anybody would write that now? Do you think anybody that covers the Pirates would address that? In a, no, no. Of course not. Of course not. No, which, which is why it's mythical. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right, exactly. It's a sign after the fact. Now, um, one other thing about the Pirates, and Tim, do you ever feel dumb talking about them when they stink and are never going to be any good? I mean, they're never going to be any good. The only thing we've talked about so far that's tangibly about baseball, though, is trade Kutch for what? You know, like, the, we've talked about them in the big picture of the— Well, and maybe the players dropping dead on the field because of the bad air, <laughs> well, which hey, would definitely affect the franchise moving forward. Could open up some roster spots, though, right? But, um, no, I, do I feel dumb about it? I feel dumb about it when I do stuff like, um, should Contreras be starting or in the bullpen? Because um, what's the difference? Right. Should should McCutcheon be batting third or first? Because what's the difference? That's yeah, right. Exactly. Should Bednar have come in for a three-out save or a six-out you're save? You're right. You're right. Big picture stuff, though. Like, like now there's rumors they might trade Keller, which I don't believe. He might win 20 games, Tim. If he wins 20 games with his team and his ERA looks decent, he should be a Cy Young finalist. He should absolutely be an all-star game participant right now. Should be in the Cy Young talk if that's the case. Um, In fact, let me write that down for today's show. <laughs> Keller, Cy Young. The thing about Keller, though, why that's pertinent is that's who they are. That's the frame with which we have to watch Pirates baseball. In the organizational deconstruction, reconstruction, that's the only lens through which we can watch the Pirates because this the meaty stuff on the bone game to game night to night we can't talk about that because it happens in the vacuum of them being under 500 all the time well big picture tim let's stay with the pirates one more big picture topic who would you draft with the first pick in the upcoming mlb draft uh, dylan cruz the outfielder from lsu or paul skeens the right-handed pitcher from lsu i lean towards cruz in raw baseball terms especially because you're the Pirates and you would have a chance to sign him on a second contract. But from the business angle of maybe Boris holding their feet to the fire, forcing him to go over slot Because Cruz right is now, a Boris client, correct? Yeah, um, it's not stated publicly, but everybody knows it's that he is. Ske- no, Skeens, from what I understand, Skeens is with the same uh, representation that uh, Henry Davis is with. I heard Skeens is represented by Seth Rorobov, the trip. Well, I, I guess he won't be going to the Blue Jays anytime soon, will he? He'll undersell him. <laughs> if Montreal gets a team back, Skeens ain't going there. Did you know he was an Air Force pilot at six foot six? Who, Seth Rarba? Yes. No, Paul Skeens. He was at the he was at the Air Force Academy before he went to LSU, 
And I guess somebody at the academy said, look, kid, you're too good of a pitcher to be. Cuckoo-cachoo David Robinson. <laughs> right. Well, he at least he was in the Navy. He was on a big ship. He could walk around outside. I don't know how he got in the jet. I think he had to be little to get in a jet. I think Robinson got out of his Navy commitment by, by he wanted to be on a submarine, and they just said, we can't do it. Go play basketball. I can't remember exactly how he, how he got out of it. It was something like that. Was it really? Yeah. I, I don't remember that. But, I remember him beating Syracuse in the tournament, but I don't remember that. But, uh, but okay, I'm not going to be mad if they draft Cruz with the usual arguments. Everyday player, you know, you get more out of him. But if they ever do want to be good, which they don't, they don't care. They say they do, Michael Terrian, but I know they don't. Uh, you draft Skeens because even if you only have him for five, six years, if you have him and Keller at the top of the rotation for two or three of those, you might get a wild card. Yeah, and if he blows his arm out, at least you gambled, but you lost. Do you trust them to bring Skeens up with as much tread on the tires as he should have? Well, what I would do if I drafted Skeens is I'd, I'd let him take the rest of this year off because he pitched so much at LSU and have him in the Major League rotation by May next year. I'd let him pitch a few token innings in the minors and then get him up here because yeah. he's ready. Basically, just have him around a pro organization to do side work and sim games and things like that. For the yeah. Rest of, yeah. And, and, and let him just go home for a while, too. Yeah, and I would actually give him a shot to make it out of spring training next year. Yeah, oh, I wouldn't rule it out. And, and here's one reason I'd do it, Tim. If you follow the Pirates, don't you want at long last a big move made to be about right now as opposed to wait, the process, trust us, wait. It'll get better, wait. I want something right now. I want to show a good faith. I agree with that. I think that getting Cruz here in a year and a half or however long it took Henry Davis, that's not too long. I mean, like, Henry Davis got here faster than any number one. Well, no, but them guys weren't ready, you know, right away. Like, this guy, by all accounts, is Skeens. Skeens? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, he's got the physical build, too. That's the difference. Is that- I, I saw him, uh, out of curiosity, I saw one of the games he pitched in the College World Series. Mm-hmm. How about LSU won the final game of the best of three by so much they didn't need Skeens? They were getting ready to warm him up. He went through his whole routine. He walked out to the bullpen. They scored like seven more runs that inning. They just brought him in the yeah, don't bother. Yeah. You've done your part. And he got that. named outstanding player of the College World Series despite not pitching in the final. That was... Kind of weird, but also said something. It was weird, and especially because Dylan Cruz, in the meanwhile, what'd he do in that game? He went four for six, made a great catch against the wall, and like ran around the bases like a demon. I talked to their play-by-play guy uh, yesterday for a podcast, and I said, what's the comp for both these guys? And he said it was really hard to come up with a comp for Skeens, but he insists Dylan Cruz is Mike Trout. And that, I don't know about that. That sounds awfully lofty, um, but you know, hey, He's coming in with an even higher pedigree than Trout did. He's not built quite the same. He's lankier and leaner. He's Steven Strasburg-esque. No, I'm talking about I'm talking about Cruz. Oh, Dylan Cruz. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right. Um, that's actually a decent comp for uh, for skis. I, right, I actually, and, and, and people act like that's a bad thing because Strasburg had, you know, arm troubles. But he did a lot. The other one I heard was a slightly taller Mark Pryor. But, you know, Skeens, even though he's 6'6", he's not all big, long levers. He's got a little trunk I'd compare to him. him to J.T. Brubaker, except a lot better. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so I, I would go with Skeens. Wouldn't be outraged if they take Cruz. But let me tell you this. If they do that that BS where they take somebody besides one of those two to save money for lower slots, F that. Yeah, and I saw an ESPN article. And you can never count them out of doing no, something like that. Ex- exactly not. You cannot do that, which is why I got my antenna up when I read this ESPN article uh, right before the final game where they were talking about Skeens versus Cruz. 
they worked in the Langford kid who's really good from Florida that played against them in the final that hit the home run in the first inning of that game. And then they started talking about this kid. I forget his name already, but Max, whatever his name is, the number four overall. I think it'd be great if they drafted and said, this is Max, whatever his name is. We're <laughs> like, taking him. Like Carey Price. Carey Price, the Canadian's pick. It was tremendous. <laughs> Have you ever seen anybody on that tight of a shot on television? Like... Like, you could see the blood rush out of a rush to his face, I guess, but his face changed color I'd be on like, television. And now you know why he took a couple years off, folks. His eyes were going back and forth in his head like that goalie exercise that Braden Holtby used to do before every game. He's just darting around like, I, give the guy an index card. Write it down on a piece of, make him write it down in his hand or something for crying out loud. Uh, how about the guy from the Yankees? I, I forget his name already. He pitched a perfect game. Oh, Herman. Yeah, Herman. That's only the, tw- is this right? Only the 24th perfect game in Major League history. Should have been the 25th if it weren't for the Galarraga call at first base. But wouldn't you figure there would have been more? And it seems like there's more. Yes. Maybe because you remember them. And four of them are from the Yankees. Is that the toughest single game thing to do in sports? We Pitch talked about game. this on the uh, DV morning show. I think it is. And one of the few that comes to mind, and everything else is kind of quirky, like, Mar- the other one that came to mind was Mario's five goals, five ways. Ooh, that's tougher. Okay, so that one jumped into my that's head. That's tougher because you're at the mercy of, I mean, is there going to be a penalty shot? Is there going to be an empty net? Is Dave Caulfield going to set you up? Exactly. That's why it's a little bit more fluky and sort of a statistical anomaly than the perfect game. The perfect game is literally, by definition, you've done everything you're supposed to do within the construct of the game, whereas it's a matter of circumstance to get five goals, five ways. I asked Mario once, uh, years later, on an anniversary of it or something like that, I go, hey, that last goal was real close to the buzzer, you know, the green the green lamp. He goes, I go, should it have counted? And uh, he took a pregnant pause and said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, uh, the perfect game thing, I mean. How about both of their broadcasters took that game off, too? Did you see that? The Yankees, their usual guys, Michael Kay and John Sterling, both didn't bother going on that trip. But what a thrill for the other guys then. Yeah, right, exactly. Ryan Rucco, who's you know pretty established in New York. I don't know who did it on the radio side, but Rucco did it for, I think, the Yes Network. And his call was the one that was going across all over America today. So, Tim, did you see that they said, what's that sweetener? Is it pronounced aspartame or aspartame? Uh, aspartame. Yeah, do you see it might be a carcinogen? A little late to let us know that, huh? If, if it is a carcinogen, my, my my kidneys are going to just drop out of my body and roll around. Like, you know how you drop a nickel or a diamond like kind of rolls around and spins? <laughs> yes. That's what will happen. So, or you could just take one of them out and throw it against the wall and splatter it. Is This what this is what they use for, like, Diet Coke, right? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. And what do you like, Diet Right? Diet Right Aid? Or I think it's for everything. I oh, think it's everything? for all of them. I, I don't know that. I But I, Tim, Diet Coke, Diet Pepsi, my preferred is Diet Right Cherry Cola, uh, caffeine-free, which they stopped producing. You remember, didn't you like buy a couple cases of it and stash it at the old Yeah, but it's gone now. It's, it's gone. gone, yeah. Oh, no, at home. At home. Oh, at home. More all recently right. than that. And I still occasionally go online to see if anybody, but it would be flat now, wouldn't it? I mean, they haven't yeah. made it for like three or four years. At some point, sodas will go flat, yes. And only that great mixer. Oh, great mixer. For whiskey? Anything. Anything. Great mixer. I've never been a big fan of vodka and cola. Cola. See, I, I don't like that. I like vodka and uh, like Sprite or club soda or tonic water, and then I like darker beverages with darker colas. You know, you know what I've, I've grown to really like is vodka. Uh, with it has to be good vodka, with uh, cranberry, but a splash of club soda to cut the sweetness way down. Yes, and a little little sparkle, a little in bubble. In fact, in fact, lately I've been doing vodka with club soda and a splash of cranberry for flavor. 
Better I, yet. Yeah, I got uh, some bourbon barrel whiskey that I find to be really good. Some whiskeys you can mix between light and dark, but I just I only drink dark soda with dark like liquor. I said uh, when I was in Vegas, I was having dinner with Mr. Friday afternoon, and I had a um, I had a Jameson's and cola, which is very good. And and, and he goes, I didn't know you drank that. I go. Yeah, uh, I think I'm going to start drinking more whiskey. He goes, well, that's a wise decision at age 62. <laughs> you know what I found as I got older, uh, when it comes to mixed drinks and things like that, I prefer now to split it and just get the whiskey neat in a glass Yeah, and then have the Coke on the side. And oh, chase that's the like- old-fashioned way. Like that's... Uh- that in Pittsburgh, it was it was doing that like you a whiskey neat with, with water. Okay. Or All beer, right. yeah. Yeah, see, I prefer it that way because I think as I've gotten older and more inclined to like alcohol, I actually like the bite of the alcohol, and I want to taste that and then chase it with something. Well, since I had my gallbladder out like maybe four or five years ago, I've been terrible about adhering to what, you know, you're not supposed to eat or drink and the irritant that, you know, it's not fatal, at least not so far, <laughs> but, you know, what what will cause like, you know, that that super heartburny type feeling, right? Uh, but the one thing I can't do is shots. Shots since I got the gallbladder out, it just like it just thumps, boom, right, right away. away, right away, yeah. And like I get people mad at me, like I'll be out, like you know, and, and some fan will want to buy me a shot. I go, no, I can't do it. Oh, what do you mean you can't do it? I go, I literally can't do it. I'll be doubled over inside of ninety seconds. <laughs> That's right. You'll have nine one one here. You'll be halfway through your shot, and the ambulance will be here. Uh, Tim, I want to talk uh, some about the Penguins. We spent uh, the last podcast entirely on the Penguins. But since then, they have traded uh, the third-round pick uh, in the 2024 draft, the one they got from Vegas for Teddy Bluger. Yeah, traded it to Vegas for Riley Smith. Seems like a decent deal. I mean, uh, Kyle Dubas, the uh, I always want to say GM. He's technically the president of Hockey Ops. He said it doesn't preclude bringing back Zucker. But I got a feeling it precludes bringing back Zucker. Yeah, they have $15.2 million worth of cap space right now. They still have Let's to give it out. all to Zucker. You got to figure out the goalie. Um, I, I agree. I think that was just the right thing to say. Keep negotiations open. If he's got nothing, maybe you don't piss him off and he comes back for less than you expected. But I, he would have to come back for less than five. I, I believe all those projections. Oh, not, he'd have to come back for like something four-ish. Yeah, I, I believe all those projections. And he's going to get something somewhere. Somebody will give him five and a half. Everybody gets – once you get – I don't know why every player in every sport doesn't get the free agency. Because not everyone gets paid more than he should, but most do. You can buy security that way, you know, sort of like the baseball players do. It's, it's a little bit more. Well, right. Zucker and Riley Smith are basically the same player in a lot of ways. Right. And Riley Smith has two years left on his deal, and Zucker's going to get five. I think Zucker's a little bit more grit, tenacity, sandpaper, a little bit more forechecky. But well, I don't know about that. I mean, if so, just a little. Mm-hmm. See, my worry about Zucker is you saw that uh, Sully said that, that Zucker's going to, I mean, excuse me, Smith's probably going to play with Gino. Right. Right where Zucker was. Riley Smith does play an attack on the rush, straight ahead, simple game, and Geno attacks on the rush, but it's a complicated attack on the rush game. That marches so Carlson, uh, Riley Smith line in Vegas, they just pass, 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 dump, go get it. You know, stuff like that. You know, uh, I think Riley Smith would be a better fit for Sid. Then again, so is Gensel, so is Rust, so is Raquel, so is everybody. I still think this is going to be a case where Smith gets hammered in with Geno. 
Raquel and Rust flip flop between the top two based on whoever's yeah, working I think so out too. better, and Gensel stays with Sid. I wonder if Smith could jam in front on the power play. I don't think that was his trademark in Vegas. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. But then, what do you do with Gensel? Do you keep him on? Where else does he go? Tim, I would totally reorganize the power play, and they won't. So I get mad when I talk about it, and I talk about this all the time. Sid should be on the right half wall, not Malkin, because Sid can be a reset point and a distributor. He could be the point man on the right half wall. What did you think of the draft pick? Um, I think we should pronounce his name Jager. <laughs> Speaking of shots, Jagermeister every time oh, if he, he scores, scores. it's a Jager bomb. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think I like it based on a little video I've seen. You know, and, surprise, the thing surprised me scouting reports. Yeah, I'm not going to act like I broke down Swedish elite film or anything like that. But, you know, the uh, Axel, the point guy, the offensive defenseman that we've talked about from Sweden a couple times in these podcasts, that Matthew Wood from UConn, uh, that Oliver, what's his last name? Uh, the guy from the U.S. national development team that Chicago got is supposed to be the fastest skater in the draft. Like, these guys who kept getting mocked to the Penguins and everything I read, they were all still there. Because Arizona did some dippy things up front. One of the other guys that was supposed to fall at Pittsburgh went high in the top ten. I like I saw all these familiar names, and it felt like the NFL draft. Where Peasy's kid was there, and Broderick Jones was there, and Christian Gonzalez was there. It's like, hey, everybody's here. They're not going to go off the board and take someone different. Oh, they did. They did. Well, like here's what I don't like about the kid. I'll, I'll be real honest. Small. His production. He's not that small. He's five eleven. One sixty six. Yeah, you can gain weight. I mean, I know that. <laughs> uh, he uh, His production went down the last year in juniors a little bit. His goal scoring. His assists went up. I don't know, maybe he was just figuring out how to round out his game. Sometimes, you know, goal score can get caught, you know, a, a bit short when you're trying to figure other stuff out. But he won the award for most gentlemanly player in the Western Hockey League. Okay? I don't want an 18-year-old kid to be the most gentlemanly player because there's a word for that in hockey, and it's not gentlemanly. No, it's called the Lady Bing. No, it's called something else. And... uh <laughs> And, uh, you know, but, but he's a center. That's the most important position. His release on his shot is epic, which I like. Very Kessel-esque. Yeah, the one-leg thing. Yeah, so I, I, I like it. I mean, I, I think it's a decent pick. Bedard, everybody says for as great as Connor Bedard is, the best thing about him is his shot and the release. Yeah. He can do different things. Kapow. He does different things on the release. The puck comes off different ways with the release. He controls it. Uh, or he just slaps it, he can do it however it needs done. Um, I've heard that's the defining characteristic of his game. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not, I never thought the Penguins would get him. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, the, the uniqueness of the shot right. says something. Yeah. How about Fantilli? He didn't go to Anaheim. He dropped to Columbus. Yeah, now Columbus How, has three Michigan guys. One minute you're on the beach at Anaheim, the next moment you're in Columbus. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he was happy about that. Well, I, you, you know what? But he'll be happy about it hockey-wise. He has more to work with in Columbus. I think like so. Like, he can jump right on a line with Johnny Hockey and, I don't know, maybe Patrick Laine. Yeah, there's. Uh, it didn't come together in Columbus, but I felt like I was not surprised that Anaheim was as bad as it was. I actually thought Columbus might be a little bit better than Although Johnny Hockey's one of the most overrated players. I, I mean, he's good, but if his nickname wasn't Johnny Hockey, and nobody would talk BC about him. when he was in college and, you know, win the Hobie and all that. Well, here's a question. Why can't 18-year-olds play in the NHL? Why are we automatically assuming that, like, uh, you know, two or three guys from this class, including Bedard and Fantilli, will jump right to? And, and you know, but the Penguins guy can't. 
Okay, 18-year-olds used to play in the league all the time. I had Larry Murphy on the show yesterday, and he said his draft year, 1980, like 10 or 12 18-year-olds went right to the league. Why can't they now, when the league ain't as good as it was then, when it's diluted by the cap, especially the flat cap, since the pandemic? Well, not only that, Mark, but like, how old was Zach Aston Reese when he started? Was he 21? Yeah, something like that. 21 or 22? Yeah. You see that. You'll see the the free agent, the college free agent guys that teams go after when they've graduated but they didn't get drafted. Um, those guys come in and they are signed to likely play right away in the National Hockey League. Those guys are 21 and they're not as good as the 18-year-olds. Well, not, uh, not as pedigree. Yeah, so you're taking yeah, that. Yeah, but like, like Pierre LaRouche did it. You yeah. know what I mean? How many guys have done it? Pierre LaRouche was like, a, although to be fair, the year Pierre got picked, that was the first year of the 18-year-old draft. There's a couple of guys. Although too. that should have made it harder, because like that year there were three age groups coming into the draft. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, I know what you mean. But I- it screwed a buddy of mine, John Laprano from Monroeville. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to get picked like second or third round. Played at Denver, and because of, because of the because of the 18 year old, he didn't get drafted at all. Wound up in Johnstown. He was a little too gentlemanly too, Tim. Uh, Matthew Wood. The guy from UConn that I think a lot of people were looking at the Penguins to maybe get. He went the very next pick to Nashville. He's six foot three, one ninety, and everybody says he looks just like Tage Thompson, who we used to play with. That sounds like a guy who could get away with playing in the National Hockey League to me. Tim, here's here's a question that uh, that is is the big picture one for the Penguins. Can they still win? I mean, I there were people who honestly don't get where they're at. You know, media types saying they should have never taken the first pick. They should have traded him. Okay, why? I mean, they're not going to win now. They're done winning with this group. And I don't know how people don't understand that when they haven't won a playoff series since 2018. You can't hope things into existence. Sure sounds like Sully doesn't understand it, though. Did you hear the answer that he gave to Rossi yesterday? No, no. What did he say? Rossi asked a question about the NHL being a copycat league. And Sullivan didn't like – he wasn't exasperated by the question or he wasn't angry at the question, but – you know, Sully sometimes does a little pushback, does a little challenge. Like, I yeah. hear the tone of your question, now I'm going to challenge you with my side yeah. of it. So, Rossi asked about a copycat league, and Sullivan's point in his response was, I don't really agree with the copycat league thing, but if we're going to say that it is, then we have to include our group too. In other words, like, suggesting that the copying of whoever the recent champions were should include the 16 and 17 Penguins. There's only five guys uh, left uh, from that team. At one time, it did. Yeah, but that okay, was two the, or three the, years the ago. The league from like 18 through 19 was an all-speed league, and since then it's reverted back to heavy, starting with when St. Louis won. Well, that was 19. Yeah. Yeah, and then and Tampa was a pretty glorious mix of both. Yes. You know. Well, obviously, you'd rather have the mix. But I think you did see more teams go deeper into the playoffs that were like St. Louis and it crested this year with the Floridas and Vegases, those teams that got in, Boston getting knocked out in the first round, et cetera. Um, for Sully to say that, it just, you know, it made my eyes pop when I read the, the context of the quote and heard the context of the quote, too, that he still believes that the five guys that remain that had two rings from that team. No, no, he, he just says this is Pittsburgh Penguin hockey, like one size fits all. Yeah. It doesn't fit Jeff Carter. It does, and well, that's the thing. He went on and on about the complementary players around the core. He's right; they need better complementary players around the core. But the core ain't what it was either. But the core faded big time in April. The core was bad in late March, well, they, early Tim, April. Tim, they shouldn't have kept Gino. They should have traded him in eighteen or nineteen, and uh, they should have not signed him last off season, if only to make the team different. 
and to open up that spot on the right half wall. Let me tell you, <laughs> that's going to be a point. Like, Sully's not thrilled with me right now, I can tell you that. Okay? Uh, but uh, I just, let me tell you, let me close by saying something Herb Brooks said to me years ago. And by the way, I wish I had taped, I wish I had stuff on tape of me talking to Herb. Because I, I would value that. I value those memories till I till I die. I never thought Herb would go. It would be your Stan Saver Muhammad Ali interview. Even better, even better, because I really, you know, I talked to her more than people would would know. I mean, he since he was a Penguin Scout, not dating back to 1980. I didn't yeah. know her books back then. But Herb told me something that applies in this case. This was a real compliment, because Herb did think I knew hockey. Herb said, there's going to be times when you're right and the coach is wrong. And when you're sure about that, you shouldn't back down. He, then he said, don't ever try that crap with me. So, so there you go. That's Tim Benz. I'm Mark Madden. It's the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Bet now from anywhere. Catch new episodes of Mark Madden Unfiltered every week. Available on the Bet Rivers Network, betrivers.com, and wherever you find your podcasts.